Hello and welcome to a special Open All Hours with myself and who we used to call the Chief because he was captain, but is known to the rest of the world as Nedim Manua. Is that a fair enough way of introducing you, Nedim? Uh, listen, I've heard worse. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've, I've heard a lot worse, so that that is fine, yeah. Chief and captain, that's all good for me, looking back in my career. How are you? I'm not too bad, mate. Are you keeping well yourself? Yeah, very much so, very much so. Kids are back in school, football started again, so yeah, it's like we're back in this sort of cycle again, yeah. Good times ahead. I have to be honest with you, Nedim. I actually had a great football moment with you, and you didn't even realise it. I was driving the van. Okay. And as you do, you deliver the old flowers around London like I do for the events. And you were talking about City in the Champions League, and you did something pretty amazing. Everyone's talking about Pep Guardiola. They're talking about the game. They're talking about how great it is. You stripped it back, and you went straight back to the playoff final. Yeah, yeah. Do you know them? Yeah, First absolutely. And I thought that was brilliant because it was getting carried away. And you're like, say, listen, what's the worst that could happen if we lose? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I was watching us play. Do you know Funny enough, in fact, two sections to QPR with that was Andy Thompson went on to join QPR, mm-hmm. who scored for Gillingham. Mm-hmm. And it was us to send you to Division 3. Sorry. Yeah, yeah no, listen, it, it is what it is. But it's an important part of the story. And I think that's the case with like everything. As I've discovered with this, with being back in Manchester and doing stuff for Man City, for as good as they are now, they're very good at acknowledging their past and how they got here because there's been a lot of change in a short period of time. And as you walk the streets, there'll be the same energy for amongst the fans for like a Paul Dickov as they would be for an Erling Haaland because for the fans, they've seen it all, you know, in such a short yeah. space of time and they appreciate everything that got them to where they are, where they look, you know, they're obviously happy overall in terms of how things are going. But then there's also an element of them that enjoyed the days of playing at Main Road and being in Division 2, taking the 30,000. It seems kind of wild. It's a wild thing to say, but that's how a lot of the identities of the people born in like the 70s, 80s was formed when they started their love affair with the football club. I always wondered about that because Main Road, like Loftus Road, mm. is a very, was, well, Main Road was, Loftus Road still is, a very special football ground. It's a throwback. It's a kind yeah. of a, were you at the Jimmy Pollock game, as we call it? The um, or Were you a bit too young then? Where he flicked over and headed it over someone or a different one you're thinking about? The, the, the Jimmy Pollock own goal, which was probably one of the yeah. best own goals. Ever, yeah, yeah. Or the worst, depending on what you Yeah, I was, I was there for that, yeah. So, yeah, I've seen I've seen a few things in my time so far, in my young life so far. Uh, but I'll tell you what, though, I did like it because it was getting carried. I mean, so I have to do it with QPR. Then, when people talked about when we had the money, when we were spending mm. it, like it was going out of fashion. It was like, and I'm like, listen, mate, I still was lose against Fox or Mudders in the FA Cup. I was yeah, sitting yeah. as it more times than I could to remember. I've, I've seen fans gone up with buckets. I've seen this, I've seen that. These things are nice, but it doesn't define the football club. Yeah. yeah. And I think as well, from my perspective with that, a lot of people, you know, in our lifetimes, we've seen teams which have been like clear favourites, you know what I mean? And if you want to support them, you get called the glory hunter, even not realistically. It's just nice to see teams win. But most of yeah. the clubs that people go for, it's not because they win all the time. There's some other connection that you have with it. You know, even if it's people from, say, the USA that, you know, they just draw a name out of a hat and all of a sudden that's their team because they're learning about football. Now they're learning about football through QPR. What a what a story that is. We learn about football from that perspective. You know what I mean? And yeah, I yeah, totally. get that. I get that. I like it. 
And then it means that when things change from what they were, obviously you could be like high and excited and stuff like that. But then there's also a bit of you which was very comfortable in the situation when before, whether that was good, bad, or indifferent. Did you, did it feel weird, though, seeing City? I know this is a QPR podcast. I'll talk about it in a second. In a Champions League final, from yeah, yeah, the perspective of Chilidum. Yeah, it was bonkers because I retired at the end of 2020, and as mm. wild as this may be, that was my second Champions League final that I've been to to watch Man City. Because they lost to Chelsea in 2021. I promise you. That. Yeah, listen, yeah, we, we try not to say the C word on here. It's, I know it's quite explosive. Sorry, sorry to everyone that heard that. But, Don't uh, drop the C bomb, Nedim. Yeah, sorry, sorry. It's my bad, my bad. But for them then, so I was still, in fact, the year when I came to QPR, January, in January 2012, that season was the first season where Man City were in the Champions League for the first time. Because their first oh, home game. Their first game was in that September, I think it was, because I thought I was leaving, but I ended up staying. And I'd not even been training with the first team through preseason or anything. And then all of a sudden I made a squad and the squad that I made was the first game against Napoli in the Champions League. And I was like, what's going on here? Like, But then you realise it was a homegrown quarter thing. So even though I wasn't in the first team, all of a sudden say, oh no, but we need you for the Champions League. I bet you do, that's, I bet you do. But yeah, that's, that's, let's <laughs> talk about recent history. That's how recent their journey to try and win that Champions League was. It's not as long as people may think. No, and that's the trouble because it's 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 very easy for the media and everyone else to sort of jump on the fact you spent loads of money. But there's to me, the city with money and the QPR money were very, very different beasts. Yeah, that's one hundred percent, one hundred percent. To be honest with you, which to link, sorry to jump in to link it to QPR. Yeah, right. I think that's one of my uh, feelings about say. QPR was for the years we were in the Premier League I think it was three seasons within three out of four seasons we were in the Premier League yeah. and as you look at the football club if up until say they moved to the new training ground if you looked at the football club could you tell that it spent three of the last four seasons in the Premier League or was it more yeah. a case of the Premier League brought certain types of players and a desire to be successful but once the success wasn't there then all the players left like I think other yeah. clubs that spend the money they do it off the field as well so you can see a club just change from top to bottom whereas i felt from when i first arrived at qpr to when i left it all felt kind of the same even though here was this great opportunity to try and do something and be something different and i don't know who would be in charge of that and maybe some of that some people might say that's unfair say oh, maybe they redid the, the stadium and so on and so forth but like up until recently as i say they were still training out of arlington which is still which I, still I, blows my mind i think the only legacy we have in the premier league is again we're talking about Man City. Is the clips yeah. of Mackie's goal at Man City? That, I, yeah. I guess that's all we're known for because we played a a bit part in well more than a bit part for us. It was amazing, but like yeah, it's and there was no legacy. I've said this a million times. With three bites of the cherry, with three mm. lots of money, we had parachute money, mm. and I don't know where it went. I don't know what's happening. I was going to ask you actually, how strange did you find that the Tony um, left because he was. He must have been a real force at QPR when you were there. Yeah, it, t Tony was like when myself and the fielders were joining. Like Tony was the was the face of it. When you came to the club, or they were interested, it'd be him that would be speaking to you. You know what I mean? You'd be shaking his hand, he'd yeah. be telling you about the vision for the football club. He was very much involved in it. It was Tony Fernandez's QPR. You were talking about Caterham and things like that. Like that's what the club was in that time. Yeah. yeah. So obviously you know, we had success and then we didn't have success and then things just seemed to level out. And, you know, there were the ups and the downs. It was the, the talk of like, 
the points deduction, the heavy fine if we didn't go up in 2014 and stuff like that. So all this stuff, I'm sure it just plays in people's minds. But then most owners, you think there's a level of stability whereby they wouldn't be seeking a way out. But then the pandemic comes. Maybe that affects more people than we realise. And we've seen it affect, I think it was the owners of Leicester because they were involved in duty-free and stuff like that. So that can affect people in terms of investments and how they run the club. And we saw Leicester start to change how they operated in some ways. You know what I mean? They went from being in a place where everything was booming to all of a sudden they're trying to like reduce the way that they're spending. And I didn't think I'd see Tony leaving, but as time went by, you know, we're hearing stuff about Air Asia being in a difficult position, other things being in a difficult position. So then what? what's the state of play with the football club? Is he making money from it? Can you make money from it in the pandemic? Can you make money from it after the pandemic? And I guess for him, it was a case of quitting losses. And, you know, as he looks back, how... You, it's the legacy thing. You remember those games. You remember those games. Mm. But as he leaves, how different is the club from when he came? You know, is it in a better position long term than, say, it was when he first arrived and in the years that he had to do it? Does he think he's done a good job? You know, being a rich person, I'm sure that he would say that he did because everyone would. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everyone would. Yeah. But what's the what's the feeling amongst the fans about the club? What how did it feel about the last ten years or however long it was when he was in charge? Did it feel look back fondly? Was there a sense of disappointment? If there's a sense of disappointment, then when you first came in, what vision did you sell to the fans? Did you achieve? It's like a politician, basically, isn't it? You know what I mean? Of course it is. It's a weird one because it was mad. I mean, when we signed two World Cup goalkeepers after the World Cup in Green and Yaman from Brazil, it's just like. Wow, this is this is crazy. You know, you've got mm. two international goalkeepers at QPR mm. when we probably just needed one very good goalkeeper who didn't have to be an international. Yeah. So there was a lot of money spent by agents. And I think Tony had his pants pulled down. I think he would admit that because you, you make a good point. He joined us as he went into the Premier League. He then took us out of the Premier League twice. Mm. Yeah. And once back in via the playoffs. So it's a which of course no one's ever, ever gonna forget Wembley. I mean that's yeah. Probably the pinnacle of the whole thing. Yeah. Do you know what? You say, yeah, of his tenureship, you probably say that, yeah. Um, And that game is so memorable. But then it's interesting because having to speak about the game, the City QPR game in 2012, I always try and just remind people that until they scored their second goal, the 15, 20 minutes before that was was their worst 15, 20 of the whole season. Yeah. Taking turns, coming forward, just shooting from distance. Mancini was on the sideline swearing at every player, telling them how bad they were. That doesn't sound like the part of a story that leads to them triumphantly winning a Premier League title. But that's, that's what it was. Yeah, it was, honestly, the, the atmosphere in there was, from their perspective, was as toxic as it comes. Because at the time, there's this idea from a City perspective, that they call it typical City, where they believe that, you know, if anything can go wrong, it will go wrong to them and in the worst possible way. We're from, a bit like that. You were, that's what I mean. But it's interesting. I think every fan base is like that, even the ones that are doing well. <laughs> So they had the idea of typical city and you could hear that in the crowd because they'd never seen their team win a Premier League title. And here they were about to go in the last game of the season. So that was them. And for like, um, for the playoffs, again, for context, the squad that we had should never have had to go to the playoff final to to go up. Should never have been the case. Because in my opinion, we had the best squad. That was the season where Burnley went up, where Leicester went up. And if you look at the Mm -hmm. squad, like man to man, We've got Jermaine Genius. We've got like Nico Cranshaw. I think we might have had like Yossi Benayunes. Like we were stacked. We even had 
I think we had eight or nine loan players, even though you could only have five in a match day squad. Like we had yeah. everything. We had everything. Richard Dunn at the back, Danny Simpson, everything. So why did it come down to one game and like one moment essentially to define that whole season? You know, so even then we 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 made it up. But I think most fans would say we didn't if we were told if we were to be totally neutral, I don't think the better team on the day won that game. But oh, God knows. that's what I mean. So we even scraped up. It's a, an historic moment came through good fortune as opposed to like, you know, the idea of, oh, it was so great, the playoff final. Most of that playoff final, I hated. The bit I enjoyed the most. Really? Was probably, yeah, because we like we weren't playing well. The best bit was we weren't playing well, went down to 10 men, but then Bobby scores. And the thing I one of the things I remember in my career more than anything, and this is, sorry to run on a little bit here. As, no, a player, as a player, when you play in a game, and I think this is the case for most people, you have in your mind the things you've done well, but the things that sting the most are the things which you've done badly. Yeah. You can never yeah, yeah. really escape it. Dust my head in. And sometimes you can get involved in games and stuff like that. And that game was horrendous. And I get I was the one who lost the ball that led to Gary O'Neill getting sent off. So I'm thinking I've cost us this whole season. But then Bobby Jeez. scores. And then when you look through when I look back through my career, like there's some highs. But I remember loads of lows. But I remember Bobby Zamora slapping one into the top corner in the 90th minute at Wembley and standing on the halfway line and seeing every QPR fan right in front of me from my vision, because Derby fans were behind, seeing every single one of them jump in the air and then spending the next three, four minutes, however long it was, seeing Derby boom it long, which is something that they couldn't do. We made them try something that they couldn't do after we had the lead. Yeah. But the most comfortable we were was after we scored, which, because it made them change who they were. But I remember that moment. Remember it flying in. Remember Junior winning the ball in the corner, sending it in. The mistake from from Richard Keogh, you know, who's a guy who I've spoken to for many years. And yeah, and I just thought, wow. Are you mute to him? Moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I not like to see him all the time, but I can chat to him. And also friends with um, Johnny Russell. And it was weird because we were both in the USA at the same time playing in MLS. And every time I saw him, I thought the playoff final. <laughs> and, <laughs> I bet he was a legend to see you. Oh, gosh. Every time people see me, that's all they can think of. You know what I mean? Like, we played so many games together, but that's the one that sticks in the mind the most. And if you look back, Derby from that point never made it to the playoffs again, did they? You know what I mean? Well, so... the... I was in Thailand, as you do. And I met a do. Burnley fan. When we were playing Burnley, I was a kid's president for her graduate university. If I'd have graduated from university, I'd have got a stick of rock. Never mind. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, times have changed, Adam. Um, so, and I met a Burnley fan that they were playing them. And, but I was talking to this Derby fan, and he was really nice. He was saying about it because obviously we're talking about it. I said, oh, you know, Bobby Samora, blah, blah. He went, you started our downfall. It was that game <laughs> killed us because really and truly, Derby, like us, had a team that should have yeah. absolutely gone up first. Yeah. At, it should be first and second. It could have been QPR and Derby or Derby and QPR, the, you know. And it was really funny. And he said to me, but I still... And it was a really interesting point. He goes, I can't believe you didn't sack Redknapp after that match because the players you had and the way that you struggled. And I'm thinking, yeah, quite a few QPR fans thought that, actually. Mm. Maybe that was should have been the end of Harry's journey. Yeah. You know what's interesting as well? Looking back, like, Harry had his ups and downs with the club. You know, I think when he first came in, I don't think he was really ready to be part of that QPR experience. I don't think we got a lot from him, but in time, he kind of figured out the players and stuff like that. But after the game, because, you know, the reports and stuff liked him, they asked him a question, what was he thinking when it was like nil-nil? And he said he was thinking about which golf club he's going to be joining. And you think to yourself, oh, that's funny. But in that time, we needed a manager on the sideline that was going yeah. to be able to help us get through a situation. So everyone's like, oh, Harry, 
But because we won, it didn't matter. But if that's yeah. even something that exists in your mind, because no other manager is going to say anything like that, even as a joke. Because, you know, like, this is a te- it's a technical question. But, yeah, we um we did it. And also, trivia for you, and I know things have changed because he's been back since, but the common denominator between us and Derby that season, who arguably played some of the best football, was in the first half and Derby in the second half. Steve McLaren. Yeah. Because totally. that's when Harry would, had his knee surgery. So we start the season and we're getting like 600 passes a game, battering everyone, like didn't concede a goal for like seven, eight games. And then Steve ended up leaving a few games later after Harry came back and he went to Derby and he kicked them on to bring them into the playoffs as the form side coming into it. I think they were the team hot in sixth. Yeah, God, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? So it's funny how things work out. And obviously, as I say, it doesn't always work out coming back. I'm always reluctant people coming back anywhere and it didn't quite work out when he came back or whatever, but yeah, is that was the mo that first few weeks of that season was some of the most fun football I've ever had the chance to be a part of, and it's strange. And to was think that, that mainly through? Go on. Sorry, was that mainly through McLaren and just bringing someone different to the yeah? Because Harry had to have the surgery and he was away from the club for a while, so Steve came in in preseason. He said, "This is how we want to play. This is what we want to do," and so on and so forth. And we worked on it. It was fun. Like when you when you have a manager. And this isn't necessarily a slight anyone that may believe in otherwise, current managers included. But when you have a manager that wants the team to play football and they work on it all the time, you as a player, you know you can get better and you know you can enjoy games because you have possession. And it's not to say that that's a guarantee of winning football, but it's a process that you all enjoy because you're all technically good enough to be able to do it. But when someone says you can't yeah. do it, you know what I mean? Then it's a different game. When you get the ball at the back and someone's telling you, boom it forward, you'll get it and you'll boom it forward and the success rate might be low. But when you have a manager who says he wants you to play, all of a sudden, when you get the ball, you've got three other people that want to receive it because they've been told that they should try and play. You know what I mean? And that, like, I'll, I'll be honest with you, that goes a long way. And to put it into perspective again, there was a point, um, it was against Swindon in the League Cup, and lo and behold, we were going out, yeah. Shock horror. <laughs> I played a minimal amount of, like, cup games at QPR. Minimal. It was always, it's like... It's not changed. No, two 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 cup games a season. It'd be the first round of the of the League Cup and the third round of the FA Cup, and then done. Yep. Yeah. But um, I really can't explain that either. But we were playing against Swindon, yeah. and in the first half we had loads of possession. This is when Harry was back and Steve McLaren was still there, and uh, someone tried to play out, and I think we made a mistake in midfield. Someone got it, intercepted it, and they scored. So I think it might be one nil down. But overall, it's like a good game and someone was trying to play. So we came in at halftime. Harry's disgusted by the team. Disgusted. He says that type of mistake is horrendous. It's awful. He's like raging. And then Steve McLaren just walked in calm as anything. And he goes to the side and he says, listen, I've told you to try and play and you'll make mistakes when you do try and play. So the moral of the story is when you go out in the second half, try and do it again. But just this time, we just need to be able to execute. So there's a manager that tells you to play. And then if it doesn't work out, it says you're the worst player ever. But they're the ones who say, well, because we're playing, there's going to be more risk. So if you make a mistake, don't get your head down. Now show the character and personality to go out and try and keep playing. Because the moment one person stops trying to play, there's no point in anyone trying to play because it's all gone. You're a man uh. now. See, that's the thing. And Steve was like, he used to be up in the stands and he'd come down with a plan of how to rectify a situation. Whereas some managers who were by the touchline, they just get very emotionally angry about the outcome, if you know what I mean. But Steve was a yeah, that season. Yeah, all of that stuff. And you, when you're walking in, you see the manager's quiet, look head down, or any of that. Here we go. 
here we go. We're going to get absolutely toasted here. <laughs> which that, which is kind of old fashioned, isn't it? Because it doesn't really, I don't know if it works for modern players anymore. I think that that lifespan might have disappeared somewhere along the line. It'd be, like you've you just know, said, yeah, sorry. 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 No, I was going to say, so, I'm talking so much, I apologize. But um, no, work away. It depends on the manager and depends on the people. Because if a manager is someone that people understand, then the thing you'll get angry about will be something that's justified. Like if he's told you a certain style of play to have and you go out in the first half and you don't do it, then when he comes in angry, he's he's got justification for it because he'll say, on Monday we did this, on Tuesday we did that, I've told you to do this, I've told you to do that. So it might not be a plan that people externally know about, but it's something that upsets him. So you can be like, yeah, you're right. Sorry, gaffer. But some of the yeah. ones where they come in and they're angry about the most obscure things, it's like you're hearing them shout. They're like, what? Like, what if it's... It... Sorry, I'm I'm going off on a tangent here. No, I always you felt as a um as a, when I was captain for those last three years, the squad was getting younger and younger. So I needed to understand how to sort of be a leader for young people as opposed to people my own age, because people my own age and above, they were very good at just like being shouted at and just accepting it. But younger people, yeah. as we all know in society now, they're they're different. I wouldn't say they're soft or hard or whatever. They just see things differently. They've been online for longer, so they've got different perspective on everything. And with them, sometimes when things aren't going well, you don't shout at them because they take huge offense to being shouted at. And for some as well, when you're not doing something right, you tend to know that it's not going right. So somebody coming yeah. over the top of you and telling you that's wrong, all they'd be like, well, I know I'm not doing it on purpose. You know, when there's some, when there's like a level of intent to something going wrong, then yeah, you can address it that way. But like you understand the people more. That's why I think some managers, when they come in with a blanket approach, just shouting at everyone, it's heads down. Like in a dressing room, it's heads down at halftime. Everyone's thinking about the game, their individual performance within the game. And if someone's coming to add value, then there's lots of engagement. But if it's someone's coming to just give you a dressing down, like, you know, like if you're not playing well, mm. you know, as a fan base, you know, if the team's not playing well, they're not going to go in halftime and say, oh, that was great because they know it's not been great. So the key thing now in this day and age, I think, is to have a manager and coaching staff that can understand how to make it better with the individuals yeah. that you have because you can shout at them and rant and rave and they'll go out and they'll try. In theory, they'll try harder, but more often than not, some of that is like false because if a team gets like told off at halftime, it's usually because they're losing. So in the second half, the team that's winning might take a backward step. So now it seems that the team that was losing is actually trying harder, but it's not. It's just that they've gained more momentum because the other teams just let them have it. That's that's literally it's, the way it works. It's weird because when you were captain, my mate Alan's son was mascot. Mm. Um, you couldn't miss him. He looked like he'd just come off the boat from Northern Ireland. Uh, very ginger wee man, bless him. <laughs> he's, now, he's now a big lad at university. He's going to hit me for sending this podcast. And he said that you were the nicest player out of everyone that day. You took the time to talk to the mascots. You, and it was a proper captain. But also it's, it was interesting because even... When I noticed you, I noticed when you, we were playing, you were such a different captain to say the likes of Joey Barton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and things like that there, where you didn't bollock. I mean, Barton spent most of the time just shouting at Adele. Yeah. Just, you know, yeah. you and didn't seem to do that. No, no. I, because, you know, you could you could shout at people and you can try and like drive the standards from that point. But I think there's, a, there's something to be said about understanding your teammates. Because some people want to be shouted at. Like, say, when I was a QPR, I could enter a shouting match with James Birch because he's the same age as me. We've come up through the same sort of thing. But then someone to the left of me that's like 10 years younger, they don't have that same level of understanding. Like, Perch is very old school. Someone next to me is really new school. 
So if I shout at the wrong guy, then all of a sudden their head goes down and they're already concerned about their performance anyway. And sometimes it's not the fact that you lose them in a game. You just might lose them going forward because now they don't want to train with you because they think that you're yeah. trying to you're trying to put them in the worst light. And I think some of the captains that I've had, some have been really good, but some, they think they're doing good, but it, they would only be doing good if everyone was the same. And as the years went by, there was no blanket way to treat a group of individuals that are trying to represent a team together. Like someone misses a chance, like they, they'll be thinking about that for the rest of the game. If you then go over to them, yeah. what are you doing? Should have scored that. So, right, cheers, mate. And then when they notice that you're doing it and the fans can see you pointing and like make, getting angry at them, then it's like, well, why are you trying to humiliate me? And I think some ah. captains, some captains are very good at pointing. Very, very good at pointing. Say, oh, what's he doing? Look at him. Look at this. Crap, what's this? Like you've got a desire to win. And you can like shout at something and demand drive standards. But for me, it should always be justified. And the person receiving it should be able to become better after you've done it. Because if you make them worse, then what's the point in saying it? I, I was wondering like if if like something like says, Oh, we take lessons of a captain, no Brazil number one, goalkeeper, mm. did this, did that. It's very difficult. As you just said, then you've got someone like Adele and people like that who are just coming up, the young, the talented. It, you, you're right, it is very different. Whereas when I used to watch Barton as captain, I'm not just singling him out because I wasn't a great fan of his because I wasn't. Mm. Um, no one improves when you shout at them all the time, do they? They're not going to no. get any better. They're no. going to get in, into themselves. They're going to dislike you, like you said. And yeah. I can see why there was frictions in that dressing room at times because I looked at the pitch and think, he doesn't like him. He doesn't mm. like him. Mm. And that person does was it was it or am I just seeing someone that wasn't? No, no, no. Because... No, I think no, I think that, that definitely can be a thing. And the way that like football is, and I think just sport in general, especially team sport, is when everyone's winning, then everyone's different background. When you're winning, everyone's background and history and so on, like it doesn't matter because everyone's just united in winning. But it's when you're mm. losing, that's when like the real divisions can begin. And that's when like imagine that for three, four, five weeks in a row. You know, you've got that feel when you walk off the field of disappointment. You've got starting 11 that's disappointed. You've got seven people on the bench that didn't play that are disappointed. You've got people who are left out that are disappointed. And you're going to start the next week. How's it going to be? Oh, and as you're trying to like draw a line under it, it says, oh, we're going to get ready for this next week. But you remember how you felt when you were walking off the pitch. And it could have been frustration at a million different things. It's the equivalent, I think, of, you know, if you go to a game, and if the club really disappoints you on Saturday, the team really disappoints you on Saturday, do you expect the next Saturday to be fine? You just wouldn't. It's yeah. like instinctively you wouldn't. But when no. things are going well, it's like, oh, it's, it's fine. Like if the team's winning and not playing well, it's like, oh, this is, this is fine. But then it's the moment you stop winning, you start to notice more of the flaws and the cracks and you don't worry about, you stop thinking about, oh, you know, we, we didn't play well last week, but we managed to sneak a win. It's like, well, we didn't play well and we lost. This is why. Everyone has an idea of why the team's losing. No one has an idea of why they're winning. So then imagine that uh, lots of different personalities and that's when it can get really toxic and and things like that. And it turns into almost like a, just a game of survival because when teams aren't winning as well, that's when there's more pressure on managers to bring change. But as soon as you start changing people out, that's when you start losing some players because everyone wants to be in a position where they're playing well and they get selected. But if they play badly, give them enough time to be able to play well again. But then how can you also have that and someone on the bench who believes they should be playing because the team out there is not doing well? It's extra toxic, but, my friend. But what was was that dressing room, in all fairness, was it toxic at times? The, was it about money? Was it about no, players no, no, coming no. in? No, no, no. It oh, wasn't, fair enough. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. So it wasn't 
uh, what's the best way to describe it? It was just full of lots of different people who wouldn't necessarily connect on a personal level in a time of crisis. Like there are some clubs, for example, that are in the Premier League now because they're all very similar. Like Sheffield United, they might lose a ton of games this year, but whatever goes on in that dressing room will be like community because most of the people from the same sort of background have the same view on football. But you've got a World Cup winner to one side and you've got Jamie Mackey to the other side. Like one guy can't like, in fairness, I was going to say one guy can't speak English. Two guys can't speak English, but for two different reasons, you know, that's like, <laughs> that's like Jamie, you know what I mean? Jamie's a great guy, but Julio's a great guy, but how are the two going to connect when we've not won in five, six weeks? Like the way Julio sees oh, yeah. the game is different to how Jamie sees the game. You know, one of them might want to go out and train in and ditch the, one might say, ditch the technical stuff. Let's just go and fight. The other guy's like, just give me the ball. Let's go and play together. Like just play nice football. And you know, as I say, when you're winning, it's all high fives. Doesn't matter where you're from. But the moment you're losing, you start to see a different like perspective of why you think you're losing. One guy might say, Oh, we're not playing enough football. Then someone right next to him can say, We're playing too much football. We need to work on this. Oh, this is why we're losing, because you're not going in the gym, or this and that. And it's not to say that it's deeply toxic and there's hatred within that. But when, as I say, you've got people signed from all across the spectrum of what football is. It's very high. It's very high. Like United in the middle is a long, long way to come for both parties. So like I say, it's not toxic as such. It just doesn't mesh the same way you'd want it to if everyone had been on the same journey together. If everyone could have been like Ali Fallen. Ah, oh, class. He's the, he's, he's, he's the guy that United so many because he had that quality, but then he'd also been in the trenches with QPR. He had a real engagement with the fans, but then also had the ability to go beyond what QPR were at that time as well. And he loved yeah. it. And he could have been more, but this is who he was. So when Ali come, Ali was there and uh, Esteban Granero, like good friend of mine, he came and he really connected with Ali, really connected with him. Adele really connects with him. But then Adele also really connects with, say, Jamie Mackey because they'd been in that championship and stuff together. Different, yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah. if you signed Adele solely in the Premier League and he sees Jamie Mackey, maybe the connection's not the same. And I keep using Mackey as a reference point, but he's somebody, you know, who'd like who's been through the leagues as such. Yeah, so a bit like Charlie. Yeah, exactly. It's a different, it's a different reference point. Like Charlie coming into the QPR team earlier on, in say when we first when we first in Premier League in 2012. Yeah, 2011, 2012. That's oh sorry, the next season is a better fit than bringing in someone who's just been playing in the Champions League. It's a better fit for the character. It doesn't necessarily raise the ceiling, but it's a better fit. And I think yeah, that's got, where yeah. kind of, not that things went wrong because nobody enjoys losing, but you can be part of a process together because everyone will have the same sort of idea of how to get out of the situation. But instead, it's like everyone's not doing something different. Everyone wants to do well. Nobody wants to lose. But the idea of what you need to do to get out of the situation very much varies depending on how, on your worldview of how like football goes. And also, you'd... That's a puppy, by the way. Um, <laughs> and, and, and also, I love the fact that you just said Ali Fulan brought everyone together. Because the pressure on him that time, we, we might not have gone up because of points deduction, that would have blew my mind. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? You're sitting there and you're thinking, this could all be down to me. And it wasn't really his fault. It's not, as no. you know, it's nothing to do with you, what the agents or the owners do. No. And we had very flaky owners at the time. So yeah. I wasn't surprised. Now, I'm going to jump a wee bit forward from the playoff to when we decided to go down the route of the director of football. Yeah. What what did QPR know what they were doing when they did that, do you think? Or was it learning on the job? Ah, you see, this is 
That's a fantastic question. And the reason it okay. is, is because every club probably has a different idea of what they want theirs to be. There are some who are like in suits and you never really see them, but there are others who are more hands-on. I guess it depends on whether you're promoting somebody from the football inside of things or bringing somebody in from more of the um, like boardroom level type thing. But yeah. you're going to be... Are you going to be involved in dictating the strategy strategy of the football club, or are you going to be involved in like transfer deals? Are you going to be involved in the style of play, or are you going to be literally grassroots where you're talking to the manager all the time? And I think, from my perspective, I think when Les took that role, I couldn't tell you, I couldn't tell you about the stuff he did in the office because I wasn't there for that. But you'd see his face a lot when like we do the body fat tests, and if people were too high, he'd be driving that in the morning. You'd be saying to people, oh, you need to get on you, you need to get on the bikes, you need to be in at this time, you need to do this, that, and the other. And you could argue that is a footballing thing. But then also what's what's wrong with a like a fitness coach doing it or something like that? And also in terms of strategy, I could be way off the mark here. And if anyone thinks otherwise, let me know. But there are years, say this season, for example, if it's going to be like other seasons, and it might not be. If the team was in the top three or four come December time, do you think they'd break their transfer philosophy to try and guarantee promotion in the second half season? Because I think that they would, because that's how you went from bringing players in who would be, wouldn't cost that much money that are coming from league two, league ones, younger players under the age of 21, 22 academy players who could potentially be sold. But if they're right there and the thought of making it to the Premier League's there, all of a sudden we'll switch. We'll switch. We'll bring mm. in like a Stefan Johansson. We'll bring in a Chris Martin. People who are good players for the championship who you think might be able to take you over the edge. But that's not what a director of football should be allowing to happen. It should be a case of this is who we are and this is how we're going to do things. And it's annoying because I said the C word before, but the example that we see loads these days is the B word. You know what I mean? Because yeah, the, way yeah. that, the way that they've been in the Premier League, it's like the next step up from that. But you saw it for years where you knew what their identity was. You knew what the team was going to look like. And there are other teams in the championship who were just like that. You know, this is who they are. They spend money on this. It's players from here. And it's not to say, like, the, the championship is obviously very competitive and there are teams you drop down from the Premier League. But every year you see, recently seen Blackburn in and around those positions and other teams like that, who, when you look man to man, are not infinitely better than anything at QPR. Yet still, mm. they have a sense of identity about how they're going to play and what they're going to do. Because I'm not, because of, say, where I'm at now, I look at things from a distance and I could be very much caught in this, the QPR bubble saying they're no good or this is good and so on and so forth. But when you look at the teams that they're playing against, there are not that many teams where on paper they're better than what QPR are. But it feels like strategy-wise, other teams know who they are and what they're trying to do. So with a director of football, your football club, you should know exactly what the club's trying to do because you'll be driving it. You're the goal between between the CEO, COO, and the manager. Like you're, you're helping sign players, not for the manager, for the football club, because this is how the football club wants to operate. You're bringing in a manager that wants to operate in the same way that the football club strives to. That's what I think mm. a director of football should be doing. And when you're not there and you get to a position whereby you're identifying signings for a particular manager, well, what chance have you got when you're a football club where every year the manager changes? Because now all of a sudden you've got five, six players every year that you need to, that the next manager might want to chance getting rid of because no, that's not my signing. 
any club that has this idea of that's not my signing, the likelihood is that they don't have a director of football. But if you do, then a manager coming in should be able to see the players that are there, see the club and have that explained to them how they want them to play and be the right fit for the football club as opposed to a manager coming in and changing the way the football club operates as if there's no director of football. But that's just my take. But I suppose the other side of that, well, not the other side, the, the continuation of that is each manager seemed to be different. Mm. You know, where, where you had like, obviously Redknapp left when Les came in for obvious reasons. He didn't want to work with the director of football. But then you had like Ramsey and Warburton and mm. they're all very different. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There's no there's no pattern there. If you look at, I know we don't like saying it, but, you know, Brentford, the ideal person with Warburton, he was there when that all started. You know, he yeah. was part of that process to where they are now. But it just didn't seem to work. And it seemed to him and Les fell out and yeah. Les seemed to fall out with people. Or yeah. That's how it looked to me. I, I don't know. I've got no knowledge of it. Like yourself, I wasn't there. But yeah. did Les seem to be like... Would he bully players as well? Would he would he yeah. get involved or was he always out of the way? Okay. No, no, no. He, he would he would get involved. And to be honest, most of the time, it was like a real split. If you saw Les in a dressing room after a game, it's usually because you've won or because it's been a horrendous game and he's coming to absolutely tuck you all in, like say a lot. So there was a bit of a mix with that, but he'd be at every game and he would he would have something to say if he needed to say something. So he did have that presence. So that's something which I'd give him credit for because he, he was he was visible. People knew when Les was there. He knew when he was going to say something. Wouldn't necessarily always agree with everything he had to say, but he was always there. Um, but yeah, the the interesting thing you mentioned there about how like the managers might fall out with Les or fall out with whoever. I don't know that from the inside as such, but I believe, and Les has stopped now anyway, but I believe the director of football should take ownership to the point whereby you bring in people, you know, who will aid the football club, but aid the football club be what it wants to be, as opposed to mm. this manager that's doing well at the moment, that's good for this. Like there are managers out there who would be very good at coaching young players. Very good. Very, very good at coaching young players who could potentially be sellable or help you be competitive in the championship. And who knows what could happen from there. And they don't need to be the biggest name or face, but you need to have the recruit recruitment right to the point where that's the most important thing. But unfortunately, could you, how could you have three, four managers that are just different, like so vastly different to the point whereby if they leave, it's a restart. You should not have to restart. If you've got, I think if you've got director of football and good hierarchy, you don't need to restart the football club with every new manager that comes in because there should be a succession plan in their mind about the next thing or person to come in and what it looks like. And it shouldn't be drastically different from a personality standpoint to a style of play standpoint to understanding the working conditions like a manager in my opinion again and so this might be way off shouldn't be able to say well i'll tell you what i'll come but you have to sign player x but why should yeah. you have to sign player x why, why should we have to sign him because this is this is qpr and this these are the players that we want to represent us as a football club playing this style of football and to be competitive and to be sustainable that should be a strength, not a weakness, which should be overcome by new managers coming in. Because it was weird, because we never really knew who was sad and who. who, And that should never be a confusion point. We should know the structure of the football team. You know, the chairman does this, the manager does that, and the director of football does that. But it was, it was, I felt that when we were doing well, they all like, yeah, it was down to him, I'm marvellous, and pat myself on the back. When it was going wrong, they're still pointing the finger, but for different mm. reasons. There didn't seem to be a lot of 
actually, do you know what? We've all screwed up. Hands up, guys. We're gonna we're gonna make this better. Mm. You know, you, you'd Les and Chris doing their thing. You'd have Wilmington doing his things, and it just seemed to me like there's a wee bit of friction. And I don't think any football club's ever gonna work in no. that scenario. I could no. be like you say, like we could be wrong, Nedham, but I just and and also in, I mean. The chairman, I say chairman, but I mean, he's a lovely fellow, like, but he's he's not the old style chairman, is he? And, you mm. know, and he doesn't do. I mean, obviously, Tony was chairman when you you were there, yeah. And then he's he's replaced, and he kind of think, and he's took a back seat, and we're getting the training going done. Um, Ruben's come in, done his thing, but you know, I don't know. It's it's just it's like you know, is it is he just chairman because the, the midtails are one day going to putting it absolutely bundles of money. Does he love the place? I mean, how did you find him? Sorry, I'm, I'm rabbiting. Uh, Amit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, I, Amit, yeah. yeah I, I really liked him. I did really like him, but I liked him on a personal level. Business-wise, I didn't really have anything to do with him as such, but he seemed like a really nice guy. And I suppose in some ways, I know it doesn't necessarily help the role of the football club, but that's half the battle. Because if you sort of really dislike the people who are at the top, it can become a bit harder. That driving to work just seems to take that little bit longer. You spend longer in your car before you step out of the car to get into the training ground. I think everyone... Do people do that? Not... Well, I'm just talking about just the real world in general. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, certain... true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like with, for example, um, 2000, it's when Harry was first manager. He went through, I think it was like two months where he didn't say a word to me, like nothing, not, oh. even, in the, not even in the corridor, he didn't say anything to me. And I saw when I was coming to work, it was at the point when I wasn't playing as well. Like I had significant resentment for him, like huge. So when you don't like, for me anyway, if I don't like being around someone, like I'll do my job, but there's nothing more beyond that. But whereas mm. some people that I think you would, um, you'd like, you get that extra 1% because it's easier to stay there longer because you don't have to try and avoid people anymore. You know what I mean? You'll see someone, it makes you bounce as opposed to, oh, for God's sake, like, it's this guy again, and that's not the way. Obviously, it finished with Harry, but he he had a he re, he significantly misunderstood who I was as a person, like ridiculously so, and it upset me quite a bit because we um so which year was it? I think it's twenty thirteen under twenty thirteen. So to tell you a story, if we can do story time, yeah, you ready? You first? can do whatever you wish. Sorry um, about not saying I'm introducing Nam properly. Sorry about no, it. no, it's fine. no, it's fine, no problem. So um so. Was it twenty? Sorry, it's twenty twelve. It was actually twenty twelve. So my mother died, uh, November November fifteenth, twenty ten, twenty twelve, and I played a game at home, possibly against like Everton or something like that. And then they said I needed to go home because my mom she was had cancer and she was really struggling. So it was the last days of her life or whatever. So I went. I said, okay, well, we've got a game. I think it was against uh, Stoke. And after the game, I was going to go just to Manchester. So I did that. This was when Mark Hughes was manager. I did that. And whilst she passed away and then Mark Hughes got sacked shortly after. And I'd been off for yeah. like a week or something. It was like wild times because I was very much a mother's boy. And like my career. Oh God, yeah, of course. My my life is, my career is basically split in half from when she was alive and when she wasn't. Because after every training session, I'd speak to her, been to every game I'd ever been to. Then in the second half, it just wasn't the same. You know what I mean? From an emotional standpoint. But I was at home and then Harry took over. Then I got a call from Harry on like a Friday or Saturday. I think it was, they were playing United or something. And I spoke to him and he said he wanted me to come back and, you know, he's looking to potentially play me the following Saturday. So I was yeah. like, okay. Um, so I left Manchester 
went down, trained for the week. And then I think we were playing Wigan that weekend. So travel back up. And then he announces the starting 11, I think in the hotel, wasn't in the starting 11, announced the bench, it wasn't on the bench. So that was the oh, first, no. that was the first, my first proper interaction with Harry. Yeah. So immediately like, nah, I'm not having that. And then mm. we, we got knocked out of the FA Cup. So we went to Dubai. And one thing that Harry's very big on is like not drinking. In time, I've realized that it's a weird thing for an adult to tell another adult to behave like a child. Like if you tell, if you tell a player, we've got training at 9 a.m., make sure that you're ready for it, then they'll yeah. likely not drink. If you tell them, listen, no one's allowed to drink. Well, these people go here on holiday in the summer with their children, and you're telling them now to behave like children. But I don't, I don't drink anyway. So I was there. I was there to work, working fine. And there was one day we did a training session. It was like one of the worst training sessions I've ever seen. And the reason for it is because a few of the people there were drunk. One guy in particular, hammered, yeah? And mm. he started taking out his frustrations on me, the sober one in training. So I bit back and said, I don't know why he's so angry at me. It's not me that's been out or whatever. And he's fuming. From that point, never said a word to me for two months. And I didn't play for two months until... Jesus. Until it was, again, not a word, nothing. Yeah. We could have been in a lift together, trapped for like a day. He wouldn't have said a word. We were away at Fulham. I think this was after we'd signed Chris Samba and stuff. And we were losing at half, just before half time, it was like 2 0 or something. And he turned to me when I was on the bench and said, Come on, get ready. I need you. They were the first words he said to me after two months. I remember that. I thought, oh, This guy, oh my God. That's incredible. And you just lost your mother. Yeah, yeah, this was, I lost my mom, this was two months, two yeah, just over two months prior, but that was his tone towards me, because he was angry at me thinking I was somebody that was going out drinking, and the reason I know this is because one of my friends, she's a family friend of his, and they saw each other in Dubai, and he was talking about how, like, the players were all drinking, and he named me by name, and, she's, and my friend was like, no, he doesn't, he doesn't drink, he doesn't drink, but still, he just held it against me, I was like, come on, mate, miles off the pace. You, you couldn't shift it from a set... But you know what I loved about your mother? I didn't know your mother, but I loved that she went after Gary Cook. Yeah, and, she, you know. Yeah. Do you know what? Though? She didn't go on. In, in fairness to that, uh, if people haven't obviously heard about it, I think it's probably worth for Google at some point. But what I regret, yeah. but it makes sense looking back because so when I wrote my book, I had to do it from two perspectives: the perspective of being there in the moment, the perspective of looking back at it now. And looking back at it now, I should have gone to war for my mom. But I didn't at the time because I was young and I was worried about having to leave City because that was the only place I wanted to be at the time. But me today, I'd go to war for anyone for the same thing, not just my mother. Like there's no way any of that's happening. Literally players walking off the pitch and saying, we're not doing this, no dramas, easiest thing in the world because that's the right thing to do. Yeah. But back then, like I didn't support that moment as much as I should have done. And that's a regret. But again, I was young to the point where I didn't know the wider consequence of, say, what I was doing or not doing. Because what he did was like, oh, my God, shambles, shambles of a human being. Uh, you know, I, I did research it before we did this. And yeah, it, it's incredible. Um, just, do you know what, Nedim? Just don't go there. It's yeah, as exactly. simple as that. You, exactly, you yeah. don't need to. No. God, God bless her. She wasn't well. Mm. He knows she's not well. He knows it's serious. He knows there's a good chance she will not recover from this. Yeah. Leave it. Yeah, exactly. Be, be, be kind. Embarrassing. 
going, that's schoolboy humor, though. Do you know what I mean? That's like football. That sometimes things like that happen, and I just think you're actually a disgrace. I don't yeah, know what he's yeah. doing now. I don't care. He can sue me, but he's a disgrace. You yeah. don't treat human beings like that with someone's no. mothers that ill. And also, she was your agent. Yeah, yeah. I mean? so exactly. So do it. So it works both ways. You've got the personal side and the working side. So like, be respectful, but still, no, it's not for everyone that respect thing. It's not for everyone. But I, I, I'll tell you one thing that if I lost my mum three years ago and you always think of, oh, I should have done this. Yeah. I should have done that. And yeah. we do that. And I'm, I was a mummy's boy as well, by the way, just for the record. Mm. Um, and it's, it's horrible. So to think that you're having to go into football and train and play, I, I just wouldn't know how you'd, you'd get your head for that. That's, that must be the, yeah. easily the worst period of your, your career. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Because all of a sudden there was such a gap. I think I'm, I've got to do something soon. I think it's with Sky Sports and it's to do with like trauma in sport and stuff. And just the way I perceived football and just life just completely changed because it went from being something which I was doing with my family to all of a sudden it was work. You know, that's when I started to say, I'm going, mm. I'm going to work. I wasn't training anymore. I'm going, I'm going to work. I'm going to work because the connection and stuff that I had with her along that journey, because she, she went to every game I'd ever played in, in my life. Wow. And all of a sudden that wasn't there anymore. So people tried to, sort of fill the void but there's a difference between asking for a ticket for a game and asking for a ticket for a game which is the like thousandth game that you've been to and to know that say after the game she's gonna be there i'm gonna chat to her after training see how she's doing you know what i mean like that the people can say they want to they'll try their best to do that but you know it's the tip of the iceberg not the iceberg itself it's you know what the, the worst thing is i find because it's grief let's be let's call it what it is it's grief yeah and you know it's you, you. You don't get to say what you wanted to say. You you don't finish the conversations. There's so many untied things that you know with your your mother or your father. I mean, I've never got on my father, so it's different. But with your mother, it's kind of like with mum. It's like, oh, she just said this. She done that. And then people are for about three or four weeks. Everyone's like, do you know what? Head up, mate. I understand. Yeah. After that, it's like, why is he still depressed? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like, like it's come life on. changing. Yeah, it's literally life yeah, changing. Yeah, of course it's, and Can you it... never get over it. Can I spin you on a tangent for a second? Because we were talking about like director of football and things like that. There was yes, sorry. There was there was one thing that like really bugged me, like really really bugged me when I was captain. Yeah, that happened, and it mm. kind of shows again. It might have changed now. It might not have. I'm not sure. So for anyone working for the club that's listening, like I'm sure they could reach out to someone and find out. On a match day, uh, I forget what the lounge was called. It's not W12. I think it might be the one that's higher up. Uh, a C club. Yeah, I think it might be C club. So when we used to be in the squads, there'd be two or three players that would always miss out. Yeah. But the players' lounge mm-hmm. was like tighter than cramp. Like you couldn't really get in there. And also as a player, you don't necessarily after a game where you've just been left out, you don't want to go in there and just have to be sort of entertaining people when you're hugely disappointed. So you kind of want a quiet space within a stadium that's got twenty thousand people in. And there was always like a bit of space in C club, but we were told as players we were not allowed to go to C club. Yeah. And when you think about when you think about wow. the fact that like the people in there have come to watch the game of football, whether they're QPR fans or not, I'll tell you what would add to the experience: seeing players literally like a foot away from them. You know what I mean? And there was always a table. So like I always thought this was weird. So I said one day, all right, let me go and try and sort of fix this. So it was a game day. I got there early, went up the stairs, and then there was a security guard at the door. And I said, I'm just going to go in here. He says, No, you're not allowed. So he's holding me at the door on a match day, yeah. So I'm wow. trying to like blag my way through to him. Yeah. Did that, yeah. got through. And the woman that was like 
in charge of it, hosting it. She's there. She's like stunned that I'm there. But I start talking to her anyway. And I said, you know, I know that players aren't allowed up here, but you can see like this space. Surely we could think of some way to like maybe have a table for players here. You know, I'm sure the the patrons and stuff would really enjoy it. And for the players, it's like a quiet place for them to be able to go, you know, after a game, like before a game, if they've been left out, you know, it wouldn't be that much of a hassle. And she's like nodding like, mm, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm sure we can, we'll work on it, blah, blah, blah. Played the game, Sunday off, Monday morning, walked in, letter at my locker. You are not allowed to go into C-Club and the matter is now closed. No player should be allowed up there. No player will be allowed up there ever. And it's the only stadium I've been to where players aren't allowed to be around it. The only one I've been to. Staggering. Just get your I head can't. around that. No, I can't. But that That's was the priority. Weird. That's the but that was the priority. And that was one of the issues as well. Not it's not everyone, but the club was kind of split in two. And it's split in two with people who worked at the stadium, people who worked at the um who worked at the training ground. Because some of the people that would Got, Would that on. be Beard or Fernandez or uh, uh, Fernandez at that point? I think Beard had gone. But some of the people okay. who went to the stadium, like they had this idea that the players on the pitch and the staff aren't trying. Like the, there's a, there's a quote. Um, in fact, I can't air this quote, but I'm sure I'll I'll tell you at some point, and maybe it'll, it'll leak at some point. But yeah, it's basically there was division, and to think that walking into the stadium, the product who are the players who will be playing in the game were not wanted in certain areas of the stadium. I just think this, this is all backwards. This is a mess. It's a complete mess. That's insane. Yeah, exactly. We're not allowed in there. I have got held at security as the captain of the football club on a match day. You're not allowed in this room because people are in there eating. All right, mate. Sure. I want you to run through brick walls. I want you to win every game. I want you to die in that pitch. I want you, but you can't have a glass of water in no. C Club. No, you can't wow. step in there. You cannot step in there by any means. Don't even consider it. Ridiculous. I'm, su- I'm surprised they didn't have a flipping minefield outside it. Ah, honestly. Mentally, that's really ridiculous as well because you're kind of thinking, wow, are you serious? Are you- if that would, yeah, I couldn't get my head around that. I'd be like, no. so if, every Tom, Dick, and Harry can go in there, is they yeah. pay the money, which is fine. There's nothing wrong yeah. with that. They say money. Yeah. But me as captain, wanting no. to maybe engage your players when you've won or when you've lost, just guards, we care, we care as much as you. Which communication with fans is no. so important. No, no, that's 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 incredible. No, no, it, it was staggering. Maybe it's changed, but I anticipate it probably hasn't because that was the role then. And I don't think there would have been enough people fighting to change that for it to have changed because that letter I got came from, I think it was Ruben, Ruben, yeah. Ruben sent that letter through, yeah. So it was like, by clear, like she must have finished talking with me and said, I'll tell you what, you need to stop this now. So then come Monday, stopped, never again. Oh, Mm. I just, I, and you see, that's, I've often thought that about Rangers at times that sometimes you felt, there was divisions. Like we said, but we always thought it was a squad thing. You know, mm. like CC wouldn't have got on with Barton yeah. or CC didn't get on with himself, yeah. by the looks of it. Mm. Um, and on all these sort of things. But to then have a battle with the board. Because captains normally, you called into the boardroom and said, like, listen, the players are doing this, the players are doing that, what's going on? And you yeah. would, I, this is how I presume the voice of the people works. Yeah. Voice of the, should yeah. be, a captain would be the, would have the, the ear of the the squad basically in terms of knowing how they feel, what they want to do and a manager. Cause I got on really like the time, most of the managers played, it's not like we had a great time or anything success wise, but 
I clicked with Holloway because he knew I clicked with the players. So he could talk to me and know that he's talking to all the players and vice versa. You know what I mean? So a player mm. wouldn't necessarily have to go and knock on the manager's door because he didn't want it to like understand the squad and he knew he could do that through me. You know what I mean? And I would represent him in the same way that I would represent them, depending on which perspective it is that, you know, you're coming from. But then still to be in that position where everyone's like, but honestly, bizarro, bizarro, bizarro world at times at, at QPR. But, you know, I suppose we it kind is of felt is. we felt that at times. I mean, I mean, listen, Tony put a lot of money into the club. And yep. as you say, we had all the premiership money. And I talked to, obviously, become a fan. And we, we sit and talk about it at times. We just say, what a missed opportunity. You know, yeah. we didn't, we got the training ground afterwards. We didn't improve the ground as such, apart from the press rooms. Press yep. rooms were lovely. We had the yeah. best press rooms ever. Yeah. But like you said, the player, everything else got condensed. The players' room, there was no space. There was no right. this. But it was, but the press, lovely. They had a great time. Right. So everything seemed to be, the, the, what's the word for it? The, we were aiming at our love at the wrong people. Yeah, I, I believe so. But then they were aiming the love at the people that could affect your image, not the, like uh, your perception, not necessarily the reality of it all. Because even the dressing room that I came into when I first joined was the one where you walked down a tunnel, and I think you turned right. That was the one that had been re newly renovated or something. And yeah. in that one, there's a urinal literally six feet away from the manager would be talking. Like, talk about, like, wanting to, you know. <laughs> and it's not one of those, like, really big walled ones. It's just a little tiny thing. You've got that there. You've got a toilet, like a cubicle just next to it where you're hearing, like, I think it's either Fitz Hall or Sean Derry thrown up because that's what they used to do before games. And it just, wow. like, it's just, when you, obviously, the stadium is smaller, it's older, and so on and so forth. But when you go and see some of the other, like, dressing rooms and stuff and change rooms around the league, to then be in a position where within six to eight feet of you, you could have someone pissing, pooping, throwing up, and also trying to give like the team talk to right to g up the the squad. You know, it um, it's a, sorry, sorry. Did you hear that? No, I didn't. You're all right. I'm yeah, okay. Slow. Yeah. So you know what I mean. It, it, everything. Someone's literally thrown up. Someone's having a wee whilst looking at the manager. You know what I mean? From six feet away, doing the team talk before a game. Like what? What are we doing? And that's a renovated one. Yes, it's interesting you said because I can imagine that working for likes of Holloway. Holloway would own that space. Him mm. and Birch together, I can kind of see in that scenario yeah. of Birch being Birch and Holloway yeah. being Holloway. You know what I mean by that? And if you yeah, keep your yeah, fans, what so. I mean by that? Like Birch, you know, everything great is down to me. Ian yeah. Holloway, going, yeah, whatever, whatever, Mark, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and it works. But I can imagine other people come in there and thinking, "What the hell? Yeah. You know, this is." This is yeah. this is weird, yeah. You know, yeah. especially when you've like played the likes of that game, that famous game against Chelsea, when it was all kicking off on and off the pitch and everything else. I yeah. can see how it could work for us, but I can also see how sometimes we maybe should have extended it and made it a little bit better. Yeah. So as the squads got bigger, because don't forget that, and that was made in the well, that been since the seventies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, Teams were a lot different. It's it's a. For me, as I say, I was there for six and a half years. I played for QPR more than any other team that I played for. Yeah, I've seen that actually. But yeah. a lot, but a lot of the things which happened within that time, off the field and like, it doesn't fill you fill you with great joy because I met okay. lots of really good people and worked with lots of really good people. But some of the stuff behind the scenes was so bad that it wasn't always great to just be coming in and just having a feel for it. You know what I mean? And the change that happened. So when I came in. 
there was mm-hmm. an influx of players. Year two, bigger influx of players. Year three, players leaving. The club's going down. Like to suffer two relegations in six and a half years, those are two really bad years. You know, to, yeah. to get the promotion, incredible year. And then to go from within two years having Julio Cesar in goal to two years later, like you've brought, um, what's his name now? Like Paul Smith, for example, because he this is the first time Paul Smith was there. Like good guy, good player. But this is the same ownership that thought the sky's the limit. But this is now mm. the ownership that says, this is how we're actually going to do it now. And this is how everything's going to be. Everything's changed. You know what I mean? Like everything, everything changed. So that was so much changes in six and a half years that it was never really any continuity. In fact, the only continuity in that six and a half years was me because everyone else came yeah. and left at that time. So other people that came in for like two years, three years, they had their specific experience, but I saw it all and seeing it all wasn't necessarily the thing that would make it an endearing period for me within my career, if you know what I mean. I guess I understand what you mean by um, Wee Smith and I love Paul Smith. And it's not, yeah. I, know, I know exactly what you're saying. You've, you're going from the Cesars and everyone else and like the Bartons and everything else and we and it's also not fair then because you've got someone like him and who does he who's he talked to that says actually I came the same way as you mate I came from the Irish League or I came yeah. from the Scottish League or whatever so yeah. I do get it and it, it was hard and, and funny enough I think that's one of the things that held Paul back because he then went and left QPR and now he's come back a much better player yeah. because Steve didn't give him a chance see it's interesting what you said about Steve McLaren just going back a bit because when he came back as manager, he did not seem to be that person. It was no. just, it went to, sh- well, it went to, it went to hell in the handcart with him. Um, yeah. And also the way, you know what, the way they did it with Holloway left a bad taste in my mouth. You know, the fact that McLaren was there from, we believe, January, mm. watching games, mm. getting ready for the seat, when Ian's still trying to negotiate dodgy ground, very yeah. dodgy ground, where it yeah. could go wrong for us. And that didn't seem right. I mean, we, that shouldn't happen at a football club, should it? Where no, the no. next manager win is, no. is basically looking over you. No, I think I think there's something to be said for having a list of potential managers for the future that you may be interested in, should the stars align. But to mm. be, if it's true that you know he knew he was getting the job when someone else was in play, then that you know that that is a mess because as we can probably say, this just about life in general. The moment your head is turned with anything, it's very hard to then turn it back. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not the same. So if you're an ownership group and you, you're you seeing Steve McLaren as your next manager, but we've got Ian Holloway there, all of a sudden you see all the warts and all on Ian Holloway, which previously you wouldn't have uh, been seen if you're showing commitment to him. You know, that's the thing. It's this enticing idea of, you know, the next best thing. The moment you think something is better, you will never feel the same. You'll never love the thing that's in there just the same. Even like, you know, transfer windows just closed now. So some of those players like Polina, the F word that, you know, was in Munich and he was about to sign for Bayern Munich. Then all of a sudden they tell him that the deal's off and he's got to go back to the cottage or whatever. Like yeah, he, yeah. him for the next three, four months, he's not, he cannot be the same person because a part no, of what he was not. lost because he was somewhere else. You know what I mean? Like yeah. just, the, just the mentality is it's, it's a hundred percent of thing. And even it's the same for, you know, as supporters of a football club, like if you say if a manager's not doing well and you hear that such and such is available, the moment you start thinking about the other guy, like that other manager is, it's done. It's done. There's, there's, there's nothing, there's no value to them anymore because they could do well and you'll be like, yeah, but you know, they should have done well before. You start making reasons for them not doing so well anymore. 
And that's the same yeah. top to bottom. It's weird because, and Holloway didn't deserve that either, to be to be fair to him. I mean, it, and Ian's not as stupid as he makes out sometimes. He no, really isn't to me. No. And he would have known that. He would have known from day one, McLaren's in C-Club. <laughs> you wouldn't know because you wouldn't know him. <laughs> exactly, but, um, yeah. <laughs> but like, but like he, he would know. So, of course, he's then thinking, why should I bother? And it's 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 insulting. I, things like that, I just wish someone could have stepped in. Maybe Les tried. Maybe other people tried. Like, listen, that's wrong, guys. You can't be doing this. Because Amit doesn't stream that sort of guy to me. Amit seems no. a pretty straightforward, yeah. honest person. Maybe we'd like him to spend more money as a chairman. We'd like him to own more of the club that he does. It seems that, you know, Ruben's very quiet, but he's just lost his father, so I understand that. And he'll be away for a while, and I get that. Whereas Tony was very loud, and was at war with the council. Yeah, the the thing about Tony that I personally didn't like, and again, he gave me the opportunity to be a QPR, and I've had some like great career moments there. You know, I had played there mm-hmm. six and a half years. Some people never have that as a career in general. Was so, the fact that you could always have a sense of how he felt based on what he was tweeting, and as a player, that's very like unner- that's very unnerving. Because it's good that fans can have access to speak to people, but I also like those ones where you can't access them as a player yeah. or as a fan, because then they're making their own independent decisions. It feels like instead of trying to read the room in terms of what people from the outside think, and it's not to say what people from the outside think is wrong, but say after a few defeats, if someone could tweet into him and say, that's five defeats in a row, things aren't looking well, this isn't good enough what does he respond with? More often than not, he respond with something that would be designed to appease what that person is feeling or thinking. And a lot of the time... I agree a bit. You know what I mean? And that's that leaves you in a weird, weird position as a player because like Tony or whatever, he didn't say it to you. He said it to someone that he doesn't know. But that's how he yeah. feels. Like every time a manager was to be sacked, if you probably look back at his tweets, you probably have a good sense that it's about to happen. But you should never know that. You should never be able to know that's that that's true. what's going to become next. But you'd be, yeah. you leave you like little breadcrumbs that would almost feel like that. Oh, here we go, or the vote of confidence. You know what I mean? It's not, mm. it's not a thing. Yeah, he's, he's, it was weird because his tweets did get him into a lot of trouble. He's, mm. There's no two ways about it. I, I mean, sometimes I think the famous one was when Remy left, and he was a bit like, "Oh, that's a bit weird." I was playing championship football or place whatever they are these days. Are playing computers? Yeah. Um, and I'm like, "What's he doing playing flipping computer yeah. games with players?" Yeah. You're the chairman. One day you're gonna to have to sack that player. One yeah. day you're gonna to have to move that player on, or whatever. Yeah. I, don't be the mate, and don't no. be their enemy. I, I exactly. I think that's fair. I think I prefer it when they're not really accessible like that, because at some point, because of the business nature of it all, you will be disappointed. Like even look at whichever club we look at, there've been times when, say, the heroes had to stop because the club won't offer him another deal but they've had great yeah. service, but they're like, nah, but we're ready to move on from you now. Even though the player might think they've got another one, two years left of them or something like that. So there's no, yeah. like you want to, and this this might be a controversial opinion, you want to give the idea of sort of like preaching loyalty, but the loyalty tends to come in one direction because as soon as they a club doesn't care about you anymore, it makes no difference that you want to stay there and think how many players across the years have wanted to stay somewhere, but have been told that they have to move on. But the way that yeah. the deal is done, it will be perceived as if the player chose to move on. But that's very rarely that's the strange. case. It's very rarely the case. What we were doing, and that was very strange, Adam, when we, we were negotiating with players, maybe it happened to you, I don't know. 
Um, it'd be like, oh yeah, we, we, we've um, we've offered them a deal, and they they turn it down. They made that public, and I'm thinking, yeah, we could have offered them twenty pence a week. Yeah, exactly. You know, never the details. It seemed it was no, it seemed loaded against the player, and I'm like, that's a bit harsh. I mean, it should be a case of the players left, end the story. Yeah, it's it's the um. The, like this, this stuff to me is like feels more obvious because I'm coming from a different perspective, and some people might agree, mm. some people might not. But when it comes down to like contract negotiations, it's very rare that fans would turn on their club. They're more likely to turn on the player because whichever way you want to spin it, like the club's message is always louder and more clear than a player. Because if a player is struggling to negotiate a contract, the first thought in someone's mind will be that the player is being too greedy. But very yeah. rarely is that the case because most deals, if not in fact all deals that exist were given to a player because the club believed they could pay it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And all of a sudden the yeah. goalpost will move further down the road to where they've changed they've changed their strategy and now this player is greedy because they're costing too much money, even though the deal itself was the one which both parties agreed upon. One party yeah. agreeing that it can pay it and the other party agreeing that they will accept it. So the message is always that way. And then Santa negotiate a new deal. Yeah, we're we we've not reached an agreement. And then you don't think when you hear you've not reached an agreement, you don't think the club's trying to underpay. You always think the player is trying to seek too much. But that level of yeah. too much is so subjective on a case-to-case -case basis that more often than not, it's just the case of the club don't want to pay anything. So as a consequence, yeah. lo and behold, the deal disappears. But it's never the club's fault. It's always the players for wanting too much. Well, I heard a rumor last year, I say probably a couple of years ago, of a player who was played a number of games for us. And it was one-year deal or whatever, maybe a two-year deal, I can't remember now. But they, were, they said, well, you can come on trial and then we'll reset. And you're, and you're thinking, he's played 30 games for us. Exactly. What are you doing? Exactly. Yeah, that, that's insane. Now, yeah. That wouldn't have come out publicly. That'd be like, oh, we couldn't agree. And everyone's going, oh, another greedy bugger. Bloody yeah. hell. But, you know, you don't know. I, so I always look at it sort of like, well, if they signed for us in the first place, and they couldn't have been that greedy because the money we were paying after yeah. the premiership years wouldn't have been, I would have thought, that yeah. bad. Yeah, yeah exactly. But not that great either. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So it's a weird one. How did you feel then when you were let go by QPR? Could they have done it better, do you think? Or yeah. a little bit of sadness? No, I, th I think they 100% could have done it better. Like, I didn't know whether I was going to be staying or going as such. But in that last year of my deal, in fact, so I'll take you back a further step. So I signed a deal when I first uh -huh. came to QPR in 2012. And the last year of that deal, we were in, we'd just been relegated. So it was about to start the championship season. They said that they couldn't afford that salary. So what they did was they split that money across three years so i gained three years job security and they got the chance to spread the money out across the three years both that is the negotiation that's both parties like doing yeah. what they're doing me seeking security and them seeking like a reduction in annual cost or whatever and then there was the option of a fourth year should i hit x amount of games yeah fourth year comes do you know what i hit i hit x amount of games so the deal itself should have had another year on the same terms yeah the club say right. they can't afford it. That's what they said, okay? Which is weird mm. considering they put it into the deal, but they said they can't afford it. So I'm thinking, okay, this is weird. So we're going to have to start a new negotiation even though the contract trigger has been hit. Yeah. Whatever, fine. So we go into negotiation and the first off they put in is one which was more or less a pay-as-you-play deal, yeah? Which blew my mind. I'd been there six and a half years. And I think the money was somewhere between i think it's like two and five thousand pounds a week yeah with mm -hmm. like a, a an appearance bonus which was maybe three times that yeah 
And I okay. was like, this is weird. This is really weird because I've been here for six and a half years. For the last few years, I've basically played every game. The last season, yeah. I was the player's player of the season. How is it all of a sudden that I'm on a pay-as-you-play deal? Like, what's going on here? But then that's what they were saying that they could afford. From that point, listen, every player that's signed for the club that's come from anywhere other than League One has had better terms than that deal. So they said they couldn't yeah. afford it then in 2018, but proceeded to outspend it every year multiple times. Yeah. So I'm thinking, okay, so what they're saying is that they don't want me to stay because if they did, they would have firstly renewed once the trigger was hit or they would have offered something that was similar. But instead, they offered a deal which they knew that I couldn't accept. This is the, going yeah. to be the last, the last, basically the last contract of my career. And what they were offering me was a contract which was similar to the money I had when I first started playing when I was 18, 19 years of age. It's like, and this is the same club who three years prior was paying people £100,000 a week. Remember that. So to all of a sudden be offered like two, £3,000 a week, I was like, mm, it's not to be say that that's not like decent money for the real world. But from what I was on previously, we're talking like a huge reduction to the point where the contracts aren't even comparable at all. Yeah. And I was only in that position because I took a team-friendly deal from when they said that they couldn't afford to play in the first place, like three years prior. So I thought, well, I've been a captain. I've helped some of the young players. I've helped with the transition. I've just won player of the season the, from the players. You'd think that'd be a strong position to be in, but then instead, that's what they say. So lo and behold, well, I'm leaving. And listen, after you said, well, that's not going to work out. I didn't see any other offers come in from them. That was it. It was done. And out I popped. It was over. Just like that. Six and a half years, and it was just over. Moved on. And that must have been their plan all along because as i say no they didn't fight to keep me you said no. well, this, is, this is what it's going to be this is the offer like john the offer stunned me it stunned me because the way it works is say for qpr we had so many trialists and stuff across the years and people who didn't have any sort of like leverage or security and they always played up to that if you're a player that earns more money from an appearance bonus than you do from your salary the likelihood is if they want to cost, cut costs, you just won't play. You'll just exist in the, ah, in the okay. Like they, you could, they could offer you a million pounds per appearance. And if that's there written in your contract, do you know what you're not going to do? You're not going to make an appearance, but you'll just exist. You'll just be a training ground player. So that's, you don't know. You can't, like, you can't do that. I've not had no issue with health or anything like that. So there's no real reason to incentivize me to be available to play because I was always available to play. So it's bonkers. This is this is a sign good. So you're not allowed in the C club. You've been nope. told you're really an alcoholic when you don't drink. Yep. And then and then they do that. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But you know, you could argue they misjudge me, but yeah, you know, but in fairness, them saying that, you know, they didn't that that was what they had to offer meant that I so I moved to America and had a great experience over there for two and a half years. And, you know, it wasn't the plan as such but it gave me an opportunity to experience something other than say the, the just the English football type culture and I've, the way I've traveled and some of the opportunities that have come off the back of it came because QPR decided to be QPR with their captain and say, I tell you what, this is the best thing for you. And remember, that's the thing. That's the deal they offered their captain. That's the yeah. deal they offered their captain. Wasn't like a young player from like a lower division. It was someone who'd played over 220 games for the club who was in good health and was keen to like continue their time there. Just like that, flushed it down the toilet, mate. But there we go. They obviously didn't realize that you'd been 
to university to do accountancy as well. <laughs> to be fair, I think you don't need to go to university to sense like, well, so I was here and this is <laughs> this is what you're offering now. Okay. Seems but it like, helps, does it? Yeah, it does. It yeah. Helps. I feel, I feel yeah. like this is a slightly different sport you're asking me to play now. But yeah, like if I would have had an horrendous year or a horrendous few years, bet like miss loads of games, then you'd say they're in the driving seat for it. But I promise you, as soon as I hit that trigger the season before, I just thought they were just going to just say, well, here's the next year. And then it said, yeah. no, we can't do that. So I was like, well, why did you have it in the contract? What was the point? What was the point? Is it, is it fair to ask who said that to you or is that unfair? This is whoever was in charge of it uh, in terms of contracts okay. at the time, whether that's Lee Hughes, Les, Tony, whoever. But they just said, no, we can't. No, we can't. We can't honor that. So literally, why put it in the deal? Why do it? Because as you say, they want you to walk out the door. There you go. Because it could have been the easiest thing in the world if they just said, yeah, let's roll with it. And even if I would have carried on with that same money for the next few years, I still, I don't think I still would have been, I was one of the highest paid players at the time, but that was because the squad was now in a different position whereby it was like, yeah. right, I say Samuel Berriers, Ilias Chairs, people like that, who were first just starting their careers. But there've been people who've earned more money from that since then. So it's not ah. as if that became the hard cap for how much they pay. He's just, they said, nah, we're not going to do that with you. Nice. And that was been horrible because we never really got a chance to say goodbye to you. It's, it's, uh, I, remember, I remember the first time we came in the podcast because I remember thinking, oh, this is brilliant. This guy blows the whole image of a footballer into the... Because we're like, footballers are like everyone else in life. You're going to get one like this. You're going to get a gas yeah, going. Yeah. You're, you're going to get a Pat Nevin. Yeah, do you know what yeah, I mean? It's it's yeah. two different stuff. That that's showing you how old I am, by the way. No, um, that's right. I work with Pat, so it's all good. <laughs> great taste in music as well, Pat. Um, just played for the wrong club. Can't believe it. He was he was such <laughs> so much should have been a QPR player. He was made for us, not them Egypt's down the road. Anyway, yeah, yeah. and 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 you you, you can, I don't know that. I mean, it's like sometimes you you look at what we're going as a club and you see things and you're like, oh, why why are we doing that? You know because. It makes no sense, and loyalty mm. is everything. But loyalty, mm. ha- like you said earlier on, it has to work both ways. Yeah, you know, we're happy to sell a player to go, and we're happy. So they should have just said to you, "Listen, we're going to offer you this really stinking deal. It's absolutely horrendous. <laughs> we won't think any less of you because you've been to accountancy university, blah blah blah, <laughs> and because you're not stupid. Yeah, and it's, you can go. It's it's impossible. Like I would, it's a. I don't. I can't see how, at the age of I think 31, that I was at that time, how I could have signed that deal. I could. I couldn't have done it. I literally could not have no. done it. didn't make any sense. But I think the talk is at some point I'll get down to a game because I've been invited back to the Forever Hours Club thing. But it's interesting even with that because it took a good few years to get the offer to do that. That's only something that's been in existence in the last year. And I left in 2018. So I know there's been a pandemic, but nah. 220, some, uh, go on. I think a couple of people have left. Oh, well, I don't know. But remember, I think it's over 220 games. Yeah. And for perspective, I know. I know. for perspective, like I don't want to be called a legend or anything like that. But some of the people who the club call legends have played fewer games than those 220 something games should be exactly should be, should be remembered that. And that's through a lot of like the ups and the downs. Because in the same way, like people understood me by the end. And I think I will come back at some point. But the difficulties now is I don't live in London anymore. You know what I mean? Like, so to come on a Saturday to do that with three kids up north is different. But um, as I was saying, that's a lot of games. That's a lot of time. And for as much as it was good and it was bad, like I was one of the constants, just like the fans of the football club. And I think the help that 
I think I helped the club go through the transition from being what it was in terms of a club that was probably overpaying to like yeah. drifting towards putting the emphasis on younger people. And those younger people, like I, every time I see a Bereze doing something good or Bright Say Samuel in Fenerbahce, like I remember playing with them when they were first starting their careers. And if I would, if I would have been heavy handed with them at that time, and if it was, wasn't like Ian Holloway and see, I mentioned that relationship of it being both ways. I think those people would have struggled. And if they would have struggled then, they'd probably still be struggling now because that wasn't necessarily the best environment to develop players. But we helped turn it into that myself and a few other seniors, you know, like Alex Smithies, I think Kyle Henry was there at the time, James Perch, others. Like we, that was, even though the success wasn't there, that was a really good group of people. And I was a leader. Yeah. Of that. You know what I mean? I was a, I was a leader of that. And they, they tried to represent the club in the best way they could. And it wasn't, as I say, glamorous. But we did everything we could for each other and de- help develop some of that talent. Well, personally, I would love to see you in the Fiverrs. I'd love to see you come down with your family. Because my last memory of you is on the pitch with your wee ones when they were obviously younger. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the QPR shirts, and I, no one knew that you were leaving. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So we didn't get a chance to, to to say goodbye, to chant your name one more time, or and mm-hmm. then you were gone. So we've definitely got to get you back to have a proper send off and a proper. Thank you, because you you know six years is a long time, and I think what you're saying, and you, you, I get it. It's just respect, isn't it? Let's be honest. Mm. It's old fashioned respect, yeah. and it doesn't cost anything. As my mother used to say, just just be nice, be decent, and don't insult the the, the time that person spent with you either. Yeah, it's and it's a long time. Six and a half years was a long time. It's a very long time. But and that, you had to listen to Mark Bertram's jokes as well, and nobody should be paid enough for that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's technically true. But you know, again, it's not to not to put down on the club because it's still the way I see it is it still has huge potential, but it needs the Do right. You see, pe- Do you think so? Yeah, it does because there are so many clubs which are very similar, but the only difference is just how they go about their business. And I think in time, if they get that right, I think if they get because you say this, and again, I'm not really that. Neg- I try not to be too negative overall. How many clubs, like, do you think a Luton a better football club than Queen's Park Rangers? Oh, God, no. They've been in and around the playoffs for the last two seasons. Mm. You know, when you look in the championship, you've got some outliers, you know, who've been in the Premier League for a long time, like a long time. So when they drop down, they're going to have that impact. But when you look past a certain point, there's just a lot of just familiar teams with familiar faces who've never been up to the promised land either. So who's to say that those people have a competitive advantage over anything that happens at Queen's Park Rangers who've ha- actually got the experience amongst the fans and maybe some of the people in the back room of having made it to the Premier League before? You know? Yeah. So why 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 is it so different? Why is it so different? It's interesting because with Rangers, there was a crucial point last season when Nathan Jones left, obviously, and they got um, Edwards in and we got um, Fritchley in. Yeah. So... There's, there's a very different scenario yeah. for both of them clubs. Exactly. They continued to plan. That's what you go back to what you said earlier on. You've got to have a strategy. You've got to have a plan. Don't come off it. Stick yeah, with it. Stick with it 100%. Yeah. 100%. Even when you're doing badly, stick with it. But going back to Tony, Tony would get beat. Tony would go on Twitter. Oh, bollocks, we've lost. Shade. This is terrible. And yeah. he would then live that. Now, there's some that have said that at least it's transparency from your chairman. But there's also saying that if you guys are reading it, you're like, well, how can you tell us not to do social media when you're doing this? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, do, yeah, do, yeah. do you know what I mean? It's just, oh, it's a, it's a terrible conversation. But before I let you go and enjoy your Friday fish and chips for your family, because <laughs> that's will what, do. 
that, that's what us northerners do. You know, we, we, you know, I remember once people were, were horrified they had gravy and chips, and I, I could never forget the look of the faces as they put the gravy. Like, What's wrong with gravy and chips? <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's the best meal in the world. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I've got no issue with that at all. You're a good uh, man. You're a good man. Exactly. Now, listen, Gareth Ainsworth, what job has he got in his hands, do you think? Is it? It's massive, let's be honest, isn't it? Do you know what? It is. It is. But I think when you look at the fact that the wheels fully fell off last season, you know, if they didn't fall off for the, like, if it just for half the time they fell off and the other time they didn't, then it'd be mm-hmm. top half to playoffs with the same sort of setup that exists. Like, I was shocked how bad it got last season. So it shows that, anyone. No, yeah, exactly. So I don't expect that again. I'm hoping this is a once in a decade type thing where all of a sudden you forget how to win any game whatsoever. But I think there's, again, there's, there's, there's potential and there's an element of, comp- uh, an element of like competitiveness that exists within the team already. And I think if you have that, like winning away at Middlesbrough, even though Middlesbrough haven't done well this season, they were still Middlesbrough that were in the playoffs last season. Yeah. So winning a game away from, that's two away wins, isn't it? There's a bit swans. No, um, who did it be? Which team was it? Cardiff. Ca- Cardiff. Cardiff. Cardiff away. Borough away. Yeah. Two wins. Yeah. So like an ability to win on the road is actually a skill in itself because at some point you'll probably revert to mean where you'll win some games at home. So if you've got the ability to win away from home, you should be in a position whereby you could find some level of home form at some stage in the season. So they're showing levels of competitiveness. And if you want to like think, oh, it's all doom and gloom, just have a look around the league and ask yourself how many teams are objectively better by a mile than QPR at any particular moment. And the answer it won't be many. Some teams just no. have a knack at the moment. So the job that he has, yes, it's going to be, uh, you know, something, it's like a building job as such, but he's not, he's, you've got the potential to build something this season that could then be good for the next season. You just want them to be competitive. Don't want them to be losing every game for like three months straight. You know, because oh, still horrible. got good, yeah, because still got good players there, and I don't know, maybe you know some of the style of play isn't what some people need, but as long as you're winning, then you can be fine with it. But the problem comes if you start losing too many games and you're playing in a certain way. Then before you know it, you know why would you come down to watch a to watch a game? The mm. trouble is that he wasn't really given a chance from a lot of fans because of Wick, the way. Wickham played, and the, the, the you know the fact that he's a rock and roller. He, he was, yeah. you know, he, he he's not your tracksuit manager. No. He'll come in and say, "Well, we threw the kitchen sink at them." He will. He's different, and yeah. you're not allowed to be different in this world. You know what yeah, I mean? We're true. not allowed to have a different. You're supposed to be like some players, cardboard. Go on there, say, "We'll try better. We'll try better." No, have a personality anyway. And that's what. And I felt sorry for him, and I hope it works for him because he's a breath of fresh air, and he's not. He loves the club, and we need someone. To succeed, we can't keep second managers. And, it's, and what is success? It's a flippant nonsense. What is success? Success yes. to me, success is unity on the pitch, okay. unity off the pitch, and getting these youngsters. Finally, it's been eight years of talk of youngsters coming in, and some of them have started like a Sinclair. Oh, what a frightening player he could be! Mm. Um, and that's that's what I call success: getting them young kids out, getting them playing, seeing people enjoy playing football with a smile on their face, filling the ground. Maybe even I'm not going to say it, Ned. You might have heard this in this podcast. Win a freaking cup match, you know. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> Success is a fourth round hat of the no, FA Cup. No, 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 no. Don't be daft. 
They'll be daft. Yeah. That's uh, it's, went too far. Yeah, it's, it, that, it's in your contract when you sign. Like you must get knocked out in the third round. You can only play two yeah. games a season: League Cup, FA Cup. That's it. I think we have the worst cup record in the country. I could be wrong. I know Plymouth are up there, but nah. I think we might have overtaken them. You're probably right. When I first came in, actually, I think beat MK Dons in the third round, but then lost to like Chelsea or something in the in the fourth. That's that's as far as we went in the six and a half years I was there for. We got like one game, shocking. one game through. I know. Class. That is shocking. Magic but Nedham, I'm gonna let you Oh well, well, well I mean it's Holloway would probably say something like an egg stays longer in the cup than we do. And he, he was right. It's just Foxhall Motors was the worst ever. That's the first round. Losing to a car plant is something I'll never ever get over. But at the same year, typical QPR, we got to the playoff final and lost to Cardiff. But well, only QPR. Yeah. Yes. Listen, Adam, I, I, I want to thank you for the six years you give to QPR and the blood, sweat and tears and the love that you give to the fans as well. It was appreciated. We did know what you did for our club and we do appreciate it. No, you know, and that's what matters sometimes. You know, yeah. we we know we're not stupid as fans. We know who, who tries and who didn't try. Yeah, Josie Basingbo will never be live in the same breath as you. <laughs> you say that, but we were on the same team sheet a few times. But no, I appreciate that. And I think by the time I was leaving, I think fans understood who I was. I think for a spell they didn't because of the timing when I came in. And you get sucked into the gravity of other people who maybe had different motivations and stuff. But you know, to stay anywhere for six and a half years means that you've wanted to do that and you've worked hard to do that as well. So yeah, it was. Oh, um, it, there's connection. I'll be back. I'll be back. Just not sure when. And, but I'll be back. and one last thing before you go. I don't keep saying, but this is the last thing. That piece you did a match today with Alex Williams. Alex Williams, I loved as a kid. I don't yeah. know why. I just loved goalkeepers. Um, you know, be it Phil Parks, be it him, or even Jimmy Rimbaudor. So, so, but that was, and what a lovely fella. What, yeah, he's awesome. You know, I, 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 yeah. I just can't imagine goalkeepers from this generation of 30 years doing what he's doing with them kids. And, no. You were like you were like a fanboy when you scored that penalty. Yeah, oh, honestly, I've waited thirty years to score that penalty against him. But yeah, he's one of, without a doubt one of the nicest people I've ever met. And when you see him, he's the way that I think I want to be, and lots of other people want to be, because he will only ever add something positive to you, even in his lowest moment. He's not going to take anything away from you, and that's the type of people. Those are the type of people that you sort of want and need in your life, because it can be very easy. I know we've been talking about football. Like coming on a Monday after you've lost the fifth game in a row on the Saturday, I promise you there's negativity in there that can drag some people down. But then you've got the yeah, other people trying to lift people up to go again. And Alex Williams was definitely that guy. It's a good, good shot as well, you did, if I'm being, if I'm being <laughs> well, honest. It's it only good because it went in. Listen, I've, I've had those saved a million times before. But yeah. Maybe we should have played you more up front, Nedham, you know, you never nah, know. No, no, I think it would have been in League One if that was the case while I was playing. But yeah. <laughs> well, listen, thank you so much for giving us your time and, no and, and uh, coming back to the podcast because I know you're doing bigger and better things these days and any time you spend with us is much, much appreciated. And no um, I hope you have a good season and uh, enjoy it and um, get down to Rangers and we'll have a cup of tea. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Great speech, Paul. Take it easy. And you, mate. And you, mate. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye.